This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians. Uh, The book of Philippians in chapter 1. And I want to preach to you something the Lord has put on my heart, I believe, for such a time as this. Um, I... uh, Several years ago, I began on a journey uh, through the Pauline epistles, and specifically, I was working through, really, my desire was to trace Paul in his journeys, his missionary journeys, and try to see how the record that we find in the book of Acts, how that links up with the epistles themselves. And I'm still on that journey. It's been a very fruitful journey for me and my understanding of the Bible But one of the things that I found in that journey, uh, in that study journey, is an incredible richness of his interaction with the people that he led to Christ. One of the things that I appreciate about Paul and his example is that out of sight was not out of mind for him. Honestly, when I read him and uh, the fact that he would pull into a, a new city with a team of young men along with him and that he would declare and herald the gospel message and try to gather people to preach Jesus unto him, to them, I identify a whole lot with that. And I found that as I was studying through the letters, uh, I was greatly encouraged, greatly convicted, and definitely instructed and edified through what I found. One of the things that I found uh, is uh, in this letter, the letter to the Philippians, Paul was writing to a group of people that he had led to Christ on his second missionary journey. I think if you know the, uh, the, the, the travels of Paul, he was traveling throughout Asia Minor, seeking God for the next step, for the next city that God would have him minister in, and God wasn't giving him peace about any of the places that he was endeavoring to go to. He ended up in the port city of Troas on the northwest side of Asia Minor, and there, as you know, God showed up to him in the middle of the night by a vision. The man from Macedonia called him to come across the Aegean Sea and to preach the gospel to those in the region of Macedonia. Paul was always desirous to obey what God told him to do, and so he came across. The first city that he encountered when he came across was the city of Philippi. If you've studied the, uh, the, the account in Acts 16, you'll know there were people there that were ready to hear about Jesus. And there were people there that were ready to put Paul in jail. And by the end of his stay, he found himself in jail, but yet God even took that crisis and used it to advance the gospel, and the jailer and his family got saved. And not only did they get saved, but he ended up leaving behind a core group of Christians who loved the Lord, who loved uh, God and his mission for them, and who also loved their favorite preacher, the Apostle Paul. Um, This group of people were people who regularly showed their support of Paul by sending financial contributions, who by sending even at times individuals to come and minister to Paul as he traveled throughout his journeys. You could say that... um, They would have had Paul sign their Bibles if they did that kind of a thing back then. He was one of their favorite preachers and ministers. That being said, as Paul continued in his journeys, he had a number of other interactions with them. 
But at one point in time, he had taken uh, what I call the Jerusalem Project, offering a huge financial contribution that had been uh, uh, pooled together by a number of churches that Paul administered to. Paul was taking that financial contribution back to Jerusalem as a goodwill gesture to the poor saints in Jerusalem to show them that the Gentiles were thankful for them and through uh, that the 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 um, that the Messiah came through them and when he arrived in Jerusalem long story short before he was done he again ended up getting beat up arrested and held as a political prisoner in Caesarea for about two years when he realized he was getting nowhere and that justice was not being served he appealed to Caesar and he ended up in Rome in a prison cell seeming as if his fruitful ministry had come to an end. Paul was a man who was not uh, a stranger to crises. Uh, again, as I shared, in the city of Philippi, he was in a crisis, he was in jail, and yet God used that and turned it to advance the gospel. And yet I believe Paul, as he's writing this letter, is a God-inspired thank you note to the Philippians to thank them for how they had contributed to him and helped support him along the way. He was burdened that they would not think that this latest crisis in his life was the end of of what God was doing in him and through him. And with that being said, I want us to look at chapter 1 and verse number 12. Here he says, But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me. Now, if I could pause for just a second. When he says the things which have happened unto me, he's talking about the things that they've heard about. The things that would tempt them to throw up their hands in despair. The things that would cause them to say that Paul, though he was greatly effective in his day, was done. All of the things that I just mentioned. And he says here that I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. There is something about Paul. There's something about the way that he responded to the crises, the challenges, the difficulties, the afflictions, the persecutions in his life that instead of stopping the gospel in its tracks, that instead caused the gospel to vault forward. I don't know about you. I want to have a ministry like that. I don't know about you, I want the crises in my life not to be a brick wall for the gospel, but rather I want them to be a catalyst for the gospel. And here in this passage, Paul is going to share how he responded to his own personal crisis. Really what I believe we're going to see as we look at the verses following this verse is we're going to see what Paul did that caused the crisis to advance the gospel anyway. And in so doing, I think you and I will find instruction on how we also can advance through crisis as well. I want you to see here, he says, have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, he says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace 
and in all other places. What Paul is saying here essentially is this. He says, listen, yes, the gospel's advancing. It's great. But let me tell you what's happening right in my specific locale where he was at this moment in time. He was in the praetorium. He was under house arrest, though he had a limited amount of freedom. He ultimately was not free. And he says here, everyone here in this place knows about my bonds. Why does he say my bonds? I think he literally used his bonds as an object lesson and told everyone that he encountered, you want to know why I have these things on my wrist? You want to know why I'm here incarcerated, awaiting a hearing before Caesar? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus appeared to me one day on the road to Damascus. Listen, if you have at any time seen and studied Paul and how he handled himself when he was giving the reason for his uh, being in prison, you know he always, always, always took it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. Every single time. While I think most of us would probably consult with our lawyers first, while I think many of us might perhaps take a couple hard looks at things and ask ourselves the question, is this the best environment for me to preach the gospel? Is this the wisest thing for me to do right now? Those were not things that crossed Paul's mind. No, Paul took every opportunity that he could to preach Jesus. He was a constant witness. You know, how many times do we, when we have a crisis in our own life, how often do we let that crisis squelch our witness? How often do we begin to feel sorry for ourselves and get discouraged? How often do we get so fixated on the trial or the crisis or the difficulty that we forget that our mission has not changed? We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And it may well be that the very reason why God put the crisis in your life was to give you a new audience to tell about Jesus. We were driving up Black Mountain, North Carolina, several weeks ago. And as we're driving, I began to hear a funny sound come out of my 2001 F-350 with the 7.3 liter diesel. I was pulling my 16,000 pound trailer behind me. And as we're heading up the mountain, it starts going. I had never heard that sound come out of my vehicle before. And I had never seen come out of the hood of my vehicle. What came out of the hood of my vehicle? White smoke began to billow out the side of my truck. And I didn't know what was happening, but I knew I wasn't going to get up the rest of that mountain. I'm not going to bore you with the rest of the details, but there that day was probably to me one of the most heart-wrenching challenges that I had faced to that point in the year and you know as we finally got somebody a record guy to come and to bring the wrecker and we couldn't hook it up because my drive shaft nuts were so uh they were so um oh what's the word rusted that he couldn't get any traction on them and so we had to pray the thing to start up with water in the radiator because my radiator had blown up and all of these things were happening and it felt like things went from bad to worse and worse to horrible 
But you know, what I found was that even in the midst of all of that, I in my heart wanted to stay sensitive to the opportunities that the Lord had around me. I ended up, before we left, ended up talking to an individual at the car mechanics that we ended up dropping it off at. And while it wasn't a gospel opportunity, it clearly was a divine appointment. And you know, I'll be honest with you, I did not feel like having spiritual conversations there that day. I did not feel spiritual at all there that day. I was grateful for the peace that God had given, but good night, I was a wreck at the same time. And yet I find so many times in my life when I'm running late for something or when I've got to run and get something or there's some other crisis in my life, the last thing on my mind is telling people about Jesus. And I think it's that very lack in our hearts of soul consciousness, of being sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as he would seek to lead us to tell people about Jesus. I think it is that very callousness, which is why our crises don't result in gospel advance. But Paul, Paul was one who was a constant witness In fact, as you continue reading in verse 14, he says, And many of their brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What he's finding here is he's saying, listen, this is amazing. Not only have I got a whole other group of people that I can tell about Jesus, but the very fact that I am telling other people about Jesus in my personal crisis is inspiring other people to be bold in their witness as well. It's as if my boldness is going viral. That's probably not something good to say anymore. But anyway, listen, he's saying it's inspiring other people. It's got a chain reaction that's going on here. Uh, Verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. And he says, you know, it's interesting to me, as I observe the different people who are inspired by my crises, some of them hate my guts. They despise me. They are literally telling people about Jesus to make things harder for me. And yet there's a whole other group of people that love me and care about my mission and are trying to continue my ministry in my absence. How am I supposed to respond to that? He says in verse 18, what then? You know, if you think about that, If you were trying your best to share Jesus with people and there were some people who somehow in some way you found out were literally trying to make your life even more difficult, how would you respond to that? Well, I would be hurt, wouldn't you? I'd want them to stop whatever it is that they're doing. But yet he says, and I don't claim to even understand how they could be preaching Christ in a way that would make things more difficult for Paul, and yet they were. And he says in verse 18, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. 
You see, there's another essential ingredient here for advancing the gospel in your crisis. Not only was Paul a constant witness, but what we find here is that he was not consumed with himself. So often, and this is true even in my life, in our lives, we go throughout our day and our entire days are spent thinking about what would be good for us. We think about what would make my life more comfortable, how I would like to spend my money. We take our days and we get so upset when people cross us and do things dif- that make our lives difficult, whether that's our children or a coworker or that person that cuts us off on the highway. And because we are so self-focused and so consumed with ourselves, we do not manifest the love that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 is really the main essential ingredient in a true Christian effective life. Here he says, essentially, I don't care if they like me or not. I'm not out here for a popularity contest. I'm not doing this to make a name for myself. If everyone in Christianity hates my guts and tries to make sure I never get out of here ever again, yet they preach Jesus, I'm going to praise God for it. You see, there's a heart of selflessness that we're finding here in the Apostle Paul. He says, and I therein do rejoice. And really what he's saying there is from really up until this point, he is praising God and rejoicing, uh, spiking the ball in the end zone, so to speak, regarding what had happened prior to this point. But at the very end of verse 18, he shifts his attention to the future. He says, yea, and will rejoice. He says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now, i got to pause for a second, and I've got to ask ourselves a question. There's two things in this phrase that I just read that we need to understand what they are. If we're going to get what he's about to say, he says, this shall turn to my salvation. What in the world is he referencing with this? Well, I believe what he's referencing is the pending trial that he has scheduled to stand before Caesar. And he's saying essentially this, this thing that's coming, this thing that I will rejoice in, this future that I'm looking to God for deliverance in, I have confidence that this will turn to my salvation. Now, what does he mean by salvation? I think most of us, when we think of the word salvation, we think of soteriology, right? We think of how a person can be forgiven and know for sure they're on their way to heaven. We think of justification, but I don't think that's how he's using this word here in this passage. In fact, if you think about the need and the situation that he's in, deliverance, a synonym for salvation, would mean that he would be acquitted, right? And it would be tempting for us to look at this and for him to, to, uh, for us to think that he's saying that this, this pending trial, will turn to my salvation or my acquittal before Caesar. But as we look at the following phrases that qualify that statement, I think what we find is he has a very different picture of deliverance than we might have if we were in his shoes. He says, through your prayer, This will turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
So whatever this deliverance is, he, the, the Philippians are going to pray for it, and the Holy Spirit is going to help in it. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. So he's saying, listen, there's something that I'm earnestly expecting to happen and that I am confident ahead of time, the idea of the word hope, that will happen. What is it? And here it is, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. What he's saying here, what he seems to be concerned with, what he seems to be confident in God in is that he would not be ashamed. Again, some have said that the idea of that being ashamed, he wouldn't be confounded, that God wouldn't leave him in a lurch, and I sure think that's a part of it. And yet the next phrase qualifies even further, and he says, but that with all boldness. His concern for deliverance wasn't to get out of jail. It was for God to give him boldness in the moment when he needed it. What moment would he need it? Remember what the this is? It's his pending trial before Caesar. It's that time when he actually has an audience with the most powerful human on the face of the planet at that point in time. And like I said earlier, if you know anything about how Paul handles those kinds of situations, you know full well what he's going to do and what he's going to say. I'm sure if he would have consulted, if he'd had one, but if he'd consulted with his lawyer and told him what he was going to say, he would say, don't say that to Caesar. Are you crazy? You're going to tell Caesar he's a sinner on his way to hell and that Jesus is his only hope? Do you want to get out of here alive? Look at that with that in mind. He says, I know that this shall turn to my salvation, my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness, as always, just like I normally do, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. He says, you know what? I'm gonna preach Jesus to Caesar." As the Holy Spirit gives me unction, as you pray, and this could turn out great, or I could have my neck separated from my shoulders. He says, but honestly, as far as I'm concerned, the next verse, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, Paul yes, he was a constant witness, and he wasn't consumed with himself, but his greatest concern was that he would not chicken out in his witness. His greatest concern was that he would take the opportunity and not miss it. Like Alex said in his testimony, that he wouldn't pass up one. That's the deliverance that he had in mind. That's the salvation that he wanted, that God would deliver me from me from my chicken heart. 
he makes the statement that he could die and that would be gain. And here's another aspect to why I believe he and his life and his witness advanced the gospel. He says, but if I live in the flesh, in other words, if I survive, this is the fruit of my labor. And I think what he's saying is I'll have an opportunity to continue with my fruit, okay, those that I've labored to bring to fruition, yet what I shall choose I want, or I know not, for I'm in a strait betwixt two. He's in a dilemma, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He says, I'm in this dilemma. If I actually had a choice, which is funny to me, he doesn't really have a choice, but he's saying, if I had a choice... If I could continue and get to be with those that I've led to Christ, or if I could die and get to be with Jesus, wow, that's a tough one. Man, obviously being with Jesus would be better, but he says, I really think that you all still need me, that I'm still needed here in this world. I know we say that God doesn't need us, but yet Paul here says specifically To abide in the flesh is more needful for you. God may not need us, but sometimes people do, right? And he says in the next verse, verse 25, and having this confidence, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide or remain and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And he says essentially this, listen, I know it would be better for me to go to be with Jesus. But my primary concern is what's better for you. See, Paul was consumed with the good of others. He was passionate. His priority was not what was good for him but it was what was good for them. You see, this was a man who was consumed with the gospel, not with himself. He was passionate about the people that he had led to Christ and the opportunities that were staring him in the face. And he was not a man who wanted to give a shred of a moment to pampering himself, not a shred of consideration to even contemplating or choosing or prioritizing what would be good for him if it meant it would be bad for someone else he was absolutely selfless but if you jump down to verse 27 he does not just want to share his testimony he does not just want the Philippians to be impressed with his perspective and the fact that he through his selfless labor advanced the gospel verse 27 he turns to the Philippians, and he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, if I survive this thing and to get to show up on your door, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel He says, essentially, you know what? If you get one thing out of this letter, Philippians, if you get one thing out of this letter, here's what I want it to be. Be consumed with the gospel. The report that I want to hear, whether that's on your doorstep or in the grandstands of heaven, is that you all have exactly the same passion. And that passion 
is the gospel. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, verse 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And look at this verse, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. And what he's saying here is this. You know this conflict that I just walked you through that I was experiencing, that I am experiencing? I want you to grapple through that too. I want you, Philippians, to have a wrestling match with God. And I want you to let God win. I want you, Philippians, not to choose what's good for you, but to choose what's good for others. You, Philippians, I want you to live in such a way that shows that your allegiance, that shows that your kingdom allegiance is to Jesus and his message and his mission. He's trying to replicate himself. In those that he's winning. You see the crisis that Paul went through. It revealed his passions and priorities. His passion was the gospel. And his priorities were magnifying Christ and motivating others. But the crisis required him to choose between what was good for him and what was good for others. And it reminded him to challenge his disciples to follow in his example. To love souls. To stand firm. And to suffer well. You know, this week, we're all going to have an opportunity to be a part, a little bit, of reaching people with the gospel. Can I encourage you? Can you ask the Lord if he would lead you to someone that you could invite? It may require a little bit of an inconvenience on your part, perhaps. But let's ask God how we can be a part. We need more counselors, Lord willing. We're going to need more people because I don't know what God's going to do, but I hope we get a whole boatload to come back that need to be led to Jesus Christ. But honestly, I love big events, but big events are not where it's all at. They are not. Real life and real ministry is people like you and people like me who all day, every day don't live for themselves, but love people and lift up Jesus everywhere they go. Are you wasting your crises? I hope you, you aren't. I hope you'll use them and embrace them to advance the gospel. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.